Welcome back to Diferente. I am your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith. This is part two of episode 135 with Sydney Mack. Hey, before we get any further, I want to thank you for listening and sharing this content with others. I'm assuming you like Diferente. So have you written a review yet? These reviews help us reach more people with inspiring content. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is press pause right now, scroll down until you see the five stars, and below the first review you see, you can click on write a review. It will take you 30 seconds to let me know why you listen to Diferente and what topics you'd love to hear about on the show. If you're on another platform, just look for the ratings and reviews section. Thank you again for listening. Let's get back to the show. Part one of this episode, I began my conversation with Sydney Mack, an Atlanta-based business attorney, about her own struggle to deal with losing all of her hair to a medical condition called alopecia. This all happened while she was away at college, which, as you all can probably relate, is like the worst time for stuff like this to happen to anyone, let alone a woman. I mean, no one ever wants to lose their hair at any age, but come on! College is already hard enough. Anyway, Sydney also shared with me how she happened to fall into being a business owner after being laid off unexpectedly. And in this part two of the episode, she was very helpful at answering some of the legal questions that I know every entrepreneur has asked or needs to ask. You know, the stuff that keeps us up at night, like when and why you need an attorney to guide you and how to protect your intellectual property. Let's continue with the conversation. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. But also, I think that being genuine in your business practice really helps people trust you as a lawyer because they know what they're going to get. It's not like you're putting up a front. You are who you are. Like, this is you and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's the way that you relate. So let's shift gears again. (laughs) I want to get into some questions on issues that affect entrepreneurs specifically. And the first one, as a small business owner slash startup slash side hustler, when do you know that it's time to get a lawyer? Whenever money's involved. So whenever you're thinking that you're ready to start spending a large amount of money or bringing in, like it's probably time to start talking to somebody because anytime money's changing hands, you need to be clear on the terms and conditions about that money, the payment, the repayment of it, all those kinds of things. So I generally say like once money starts being exchanged in larger quantity, like maybe not a hundred dollars, cause you know, that's, that's negligible. That's a drop in the bucket. When you're talking about entrepreneurship, I mean, just for reference, I've probably invested twenty, thirty thousand dollars in my firm so far. So when you're talking about a hundred dollars, that's a drop in the bucket. But once you start investing significantly, or you know, you're selling things and you're receiving money, that's at the point where you 
you should start talking to not just a lawyer, but an accountant, you know, maybe a bookkeeper, a financial, you know, you, you, you should be talking to several different partners, key strategic partners who will be able to help protect you and your business as you start to grow and move forward. What's the biggest mistake or what are the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make when it comes to the law? Not talking to a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest mistake. People think that they can do it themselves and they think that they can do everything themselves. And that's just not the case. In the age of technology, information and resources and tools are more accessible than ever before. And I think that because of that, people get this false sense that they can write their own contracts. They can file their own applications. And I'm not going to say that some things you can't do on your own. Sure. Like if you want to organize your LLC and file the application with the secretary of state, you could probably do that on your own, you know, you, you, depending, depending on the state, like there are some things that you could probably do on your own, but you should probably talk to a lawyer before you make the decision to file it on your own. I can't tell you how many clients will tell me, oh, I filed my own trademark application before or I filed my own copyright application before only to have said application be denied and then be out $275 in filing fees before and then, you know, potentially months to years in wasted time because it takes time for these things to go through the process. So, you know, you've wasted all that time and now the money before you've come to me and you probably could have had that taken care of on the front end had you at least consulted. Like I understand that everybody may not need to have me actually do the work for them, but I think it's a benefit to at least have a consultation with a lawyer, get some of your questions answered, find out more about the process, see if it's really something that you think you can navigate on your own, like get some advice first. I totally agree with you on that. I think it does end up saving you time and money in the long run. Uh, you talk about contracts a lot on Instagram specifically because I follow you and I see your videos. Why is that such an important topic to educate ourselves about? Because it's important. So I think about relationships, all relationships being the same. I don't care if it is a marriage. I don't care if it's a boo bay situation shit, whatever, but there need to be terms that govern those relationships. There have to be boundaries. There have to be conditions and that's for any relationship to, to work. I mean, if you were to date somebody, you have to let them know very early what your expectations are. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a social contract. Really? It really is. When you think about it, You set forth the terms of engagement and either both people are playing or they're not. And if they're not, it's probably not going to work. It's the same thing when you're talking about building a relationship with your client. You have to set the terms of that engagement. And the best way to do that is in a contract, a well-worded, expertly drafted contract by an attorney, not the Google search that you did last night. <laughs> right. Some, because, because I would say the relationship or the lack of boundary in a relationship is one of the things that trips people up more than anything, because it's a variable you can't control. You can't control how somebody's going to behave. You can't control what somebody's going to say. You can't control what somebody is going to do. And so your best 
chance at having some control over that is through the contract. And so you need to clearly define the terms and conditions of that relationship so that you can on some level control it. And if they do step out of line, you have some recourse. You have these rules and you say, hey, well, we had these rules that we both agreed to. And so you didn't follow them. So this is what happens per the contract. And because the other person has agreed to it, they also have agreed to whatever repercussions happen as a result of them not following it. You know what I mean? It just makes everything clean. It makes everything simple. You're not scrambling on the back end to figure out how do you deal with this person's behavior or their lack of communication or their lack of payment? We've already defined and outlined the terms of this engagement before we started engaging. And like I said, that's important for any relationship. It's a relationship. That's so important that you mentioned the recourse part. Like if somebody violates the terms of the contract, I'm not sure that I've always seen that in contracts that I've worked with in the past. Like that it actually states what will happen if you violate the terms of the contract. Normally, it just kind of makes it broad, like, you know, we will pursue legal action in the state of whatever. Not all of them. And depending on, you know, the goal, the company's goals, they may want to leave themselves some wide discretion as to what the recourse will be. And so they may leave the language fairly ambiguous. But in my opinion, a good contract is fairly clear. Like I said, for a larger company that has all the resources in the world, that has all the time in the world, there's not necessarily a need to, to nail that down because, okay, they if the recourse is legal action, okay, well, anything that constitutes legal action falls in that, right? So if we want to send you a demand letter for payment, if we want to file a claim in court, if we want to send a cease and desist letter, like all of those things could fall into that bucket. So it allows them lots of different avenues for punishing that behavior. But for a smaller business and a lot of people that I work with, they don't have all those means and, and resources. They can give you a clear answer as to what they're going to do if you violate this contract. Of course, you have a backup you know, false safe mechanism in the contract that also gives them the ability to pursue legal action. But for the most part, it should be fairly clear and clearly defined as to what the fallout is going to be from this breach. Yeah. And quite frankly, I feel like most, mo most small business owners do not want to have to pursue legal action because it's just so costly. So having that contract yeah. well written from the get go will probably prevent that or some of it. It's time consuming. You know what I mean? Even if your recourse is not a late fee, maybe it's immediate cessation of service. But, you know, there are different tools and mechanisms at your disposal to be able to kind of prosecute that that failure to pay or whatever, whatever the breach is. Can we talk about your other line of business, which is intellectual property? Correct me if I'm wrong, but there are four types of intellectual property, right? Trade secrets, trademarks, copyrights, and patents? Um, yes and no. So trade secret is a type of intellectual property, but I don't know if it's widely recognized as one of the three kinds of intellectual property. Um, it's limited in the general sense to copyrights, trademarks, and patents. Okay. Only because there's there's no real legal mechanism for protecting a trade secret. Like if you have a creative work, then you can 
get a pat a copyright for that. If you have an invention, you can get a patent for that. If you have a logo or a brand, you can get a trademark for that. It's a it's a lot more difficult to protect a trademark, and there's not a clear legal mechanism for protecting it. So I would say the more clearly defined areas of law for intellectual property are copyright, trademark, and patent. What's the biggest difference between trademarks and copyrights? So what do you use each one for? A copyright protects creative works fixed in a tangible medium. And that means that, let's say I have an idea for a children's book. There is no copyright protection that exists in an idea. It has to actually be put on paper or you have to sing the song or, you know, whatever it may be. It has to actually be fixed somewhere. It can't just be in your mind. If it's a dance, it can't be a dance that you just thought about. You have to actually, like, we have to be able to physically see you doing the dance or whatever in order for you to have any copyright protection in it. So it's a creative material fixed in a tangible medium. Trademark are source identifiers. So a trademark allows a consumer to be able to know what's on the inside of a package based on what's on the outside. For example, if you go to the grocery store and you pick up a Sprite, you know exactly what's going to be on the inside of that can. You know exactly what it's going to taste like, what it's going to look like, because that trademark makes it so that no one else can put that imaging, that branding, that word on their juice and call it something else or on their juice and have it be something else on the inside. Like you're never going to pick up a Sprite can and there be Coke on the inside or there be (laughs) some, you know, like it's always going to be that. So that's what a trademark is. It excludes others from being able to use any similar type of logo or marking on a product or service that is similar to yours. So let me ask you this question because it comes up a lot in the creative world. Is it true that just because you create something, it's inherently yours and copywritten by by the fact that you put it out there? Yes. So there is something that we in the law call common law rights. And most people have heard the term as it relates to common law marriage, meaning back in the day, if you were to live with somebody in the same dwelling space and you cohabitate and live as husband and wife for a period of year, usually less than no less than seven years, even without being legally married, you would have common law marriage right. The same thing is the truth in trademarks, copyrights. You have some common law protection just by being the creator of the work, just by using the brand logo or whatever in connection with your product. You do receive common law rights. So we may recognize you as the originator. The difference is that if you would like to stop someone else from using the mark, if you would like to file a claim of infringement in a court of law, you need to have a registered mark before you can do that. So in the law, we have a term called prima facie. And what that is, it's Latin for on its face. And so that gives you, establishes prima facie ownership of that mark. So that means that we don't even have to do any other research. Like you already have the presumption of ownership and origination of that mark by way of having the registered trademark or registered copyright. Oh, so it basically saves time (laughs) and money if you have to pursue legal action. 
Right. I mean, there's there still will be some level of investigation to to make sure that you haven't stolen or, you know, misused this mark in any way or, you know, any or this creative work. Right. Because that person will still have some common law rights, even if they haven't trademarked or copyright, um, gotten a copyright over their creative material. But there will automatically be a presumption of ownership for you. You know, like I said, we'll still have to do some investigating and say, look into this and, you know, well, we want to make sure you didn't copy. But as long as you didn't copy, we're going to presume that you are the legal rightful owner of this thing because you have it registered. So when does it become super important for an entrepreneur or a small business owner to start looking into copyright or trademarking? If you have creative material that needs protection, then you should seek copyright ownership as soon as it's fixed in a tangible medium. If you are a trademark owner, your trademark cannot be a formally registered with the USPTO until it's actually being used in commerce. That means you're actually using it in connection with the sale of your good or service, right? So until you're actually using it on products and selling it, we can't actually give you a trademark for it. So sometimes you can, most people will wait until they're ready to launch their product so that they can time it out, the launch out with getting an application. But if you are a bigger brand, if you're concerned that somebody may steal it before you launch, like I'll give the example, like Fenty Beauty that Rihanna has, like she filed an intent to use trademark before getting her trademark registered because she was scared that, you know, she's Rihanna. Like, you know what I mean? Like she doesn't want somebody on her team or somebody tangentially related to her team to run out and get a trademark for it before she has an opportunity to. And if you have a brand that you're scared somebody might do the same, then it's in your best interest to get an intent to use trademark or to file a an intent to use application for a trademark rather. And so that kind of puts your application on hold and puts the name on hold. It prevents other people from filing a registration for that name until you're actually using it. But that's a little bit more expensive to do. So for most people, you know, ain't nobody really studying stuff. Like <laughs> you can go ahead and wait <laughs> till you're ready to use it. I mean, for, for most people, but when people ask me, I always present to them both options because some people, I don't know their situation. They may feel like this is something that I need to protect right now. I can't wait. And a lot of people will do this. They'll be like promoting the product with the name and the logo before they started selling it. You know, they'll be having it out there. And if you are going to be doing that, then you probably should have some protection over that. So you can't trademark until you've actually made money from something. What if you just want to trademark a brand name that you came up with? So you don't have to wait until you're making money, but you have to wait until you're using it in connection with the good or service. In order to, one of the tenets of trademarkability is that it's it's you're using it. So other forms of intellectual property have like an expert, a term of years or an expiration date for how long the protection will last. For copyright, it's the life of the author plus 70 years. For patents, I think it's like 20 years. There is no expiration on a trademark. You can have it as long as you're using it. But once you're not using it anymore, you no longer have rights to for protection of the use of that mark. And so the same goes when you are granted the protection. We're not going to give you protection over a mark that you're not using. Why? Because we don't want people out here just 
hoarding up all the the trademarks and all the brands and they're not even exploiting them, right? So in order for you to have a fully registered mark, yes, you have to be using it in connection with the sale and the goods of sale of the goods or services. But we all know that just because you're selling something doesn't mean that you're making sales. There's a difference, right? So you, you just have to be selling it. You just have to be selling it. Selling it meaning people have an opportunity to buy. Like if I'm out in the streets selling, then that means that whether somebody buys or not, they still have an opportunity to buy. I still have systems set up for being able to take payment. Like the transaction could occur, but it doesn't have to. Wait, hold up. Before we go any further, I have something very important to ask you. Will you share this podcast with your friends? It's very easy to share the love by either texting a direct link to this episode or posting a screenshot and link to the show on your preferred social media platform. Make sure you tell them why you want them to listen. Thanks for your support. Now back to the show. Can you think of any more advice or any like crucial advice that you could give to um, someone who may be considering, considering to be an entrepreneur or own a small business? Take your time. Take your time and figure things out. Um, I'm going into my third year now already. I can't even believe it. But I think that people look at social media and other people, and it's easy to think that you got to come out the gate hot, like day one, you know, I need to have all these sales. I need to have all these product offerings. No, like take the time to learn your craft, take the time to build a really great business and then give the business time to grow into what it's meant to be. I mean, it just, it takes time. And if you don't have the mental fortitude, because it requires a good bit of mental fortitude to not be shaken when things are slow, to not be shaken when things aren't going the way that you want them to go. So have the mental fortitude to be patient and wait while your business grows. I mean, my business is growing and it's doing well, but it's still not anywhere near where I want it to be, but it's going to take time. That's really good advice. You're right. And I think you did a good job of that as well. Even though it was kind of like, not necessarily by choice. <laughs> it was like you really didn't want it, but then you wanted it. But it all worked out. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, it's God. It's God. Well, I just want to say this. It's God because I didn't know that this is exactly what I needed. Like, I don't want to have a boss. Like, I feel like I have all the skills to be able to run my own business. I mean, case in point, at this point in my life, I'm a full-time entrepreneur. Like, no one is paying my way in this world except me and Jesus, okay? <laughs> so I feel like... It is what I needed. I needed the creative freedom to be happy. I need to be able to move the way that I need to be, that I want to in order to be happy. I need to wear what I want to wear. I need to say what I want to say. And I don't want to have to have to answer to anybody for how I dress, what I 
look like, if I have hair, if I don't, if I want to have a nose ring, if I don't, if I want to, you know what I mean? Like I need the freedom to be able to do that. And looking back, had I went the traditional get a job, you know, have a pension and a health benefits life, I wouldn't have had that freedom and I wouldn't have been happy. I just didn't know at that time that was what I needed. I didn't know at that time that that would make me most happy. And so when I say it was God, God knew, God knew that that's not, I mean, right now I'm sitting in my house, I'm about to go to my office, but I'm sitting in my house with a fuzzy hat on. Don't ask me why I have the hat on, but I have a fuzzy hat on, slippers and sweatpants, and I'm having a great time. (laughs) So two more questions for you. What is your passion? And the second one, how do you define success? My passion is success. That's my passion. (laughs) Okay. Now tell me what that that means. Tell me, tell me how you define success. I mean, I like to win. I like to win. I like to win. I don't care what it is. Like I'm not, I don't know if I'm passionate or I found my passion in any one thing. I like to do a lot of things. I'm good at a lot of things. And so sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Like I've learned in this journey of entrepreneurship that I've had to narrow my focus I mean, when I first, like a year ago, I was not only teaching, you know, I was writing the book, I was running the law firm, I was a freelance writer for different publications, I had a lot of things going on, I was doing PR, you know, I had my own PR firm too, I was doing a lot of things, and I was like, okay, if I'm going to be successful at any of these things, I have to narrow my focus, so in the last year, I've really put some of those other things in my life on hold. I finished the book because that was important to me, but I put some of these other things on hold because I need to give myself the time and the space and the focus to make this successful. And I can't do that if I'm doing a lot of different things, even though I like them, even though I'm good at them. So I don't know if I have a passion per se, so much as I like to win. If I'm going to do something, I want to do it at 10,000%. I'm going to win at it. And that's it. And anybody who knows me knows that if I'm going to do something or if I decide to do something, I'm going to give it 10,000% and I'm going to win. Period. Mm, That's good. I like it. You're such an athlete. That's an athlete mentality. (laughs) I want to (laughs) win. I am. (laughs) I am. I am. But my whole family is very competitive. I mean, (laughs) if we have a a spades game, it's getting ugly. You know what I mean? Oh, I know about that. My sister... My sister's a professional athlete. Even to this day, we will have a foot race to get to the car to see who can sit in the front seat. <laughs> two, I kid you not. We did this like two weeks ago. I mean, everything is a competition. <laughs> How do people find you? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, so you the best place, place to find me at is Instagram and Facebook. You can at at SidMacLaw.com. So it's at symbol S-Y-D-M-A-C-K-Law. Um, you can find me at my website, which is www.SidMacLaw.com. What's the name of your book? The name of my book is called 10 Steps to Startup. And you can find it on my website. It's also available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. 
So, okay, so secret dream, like my dream is to one day have my own show. That's what I want to do. One day I want to have my own show oh. where I can just talk to people and we can talk about different things. I just don't have the time right now because I'm putting my focus and energy into my law firm. But once that's together and, you know, I have a couple of years teaching under my belt, man, I want to have my own show where I can just talk and vibe and, you know, just have fun. To learn more about Sydney or to get in touch with her about using her legal services or even to learn about her new legal website where she has templates for small business owners, check out the show notes at diferentepodcast.com. You're going to want to click on episode 135. Thanks again for joining me for another great episode of Diferente. Please don't forget that you can also join us on Instagram at diferente underscore podcast. I'm your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith. Thank you and gracias por escuchar. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at A Diferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto. <laughs>